Grace and peace to your congregation. It is a blessing to be here again. It is always a reason for joy for me and my family to come here. Unfortunately, I had to come alone tonight as my youngest one is under the weather and that messes up with the whole family. And I think the smallest, the most trouble you cause, I guess. Unless when you're an adult, I am still causing a lot of troubles to my wife as she would give you a hearty amen at this point. Let us now open our Bibles uh, in the Gospel of Mark this time, chapter 6, beginning the reading and preaching of God's Word in verse 30. And we're going to work our way all the way down through verse 44. Mark 6, verse 30 through 44. Um, as usual, I will be reading from the New King James Version. Thus says the living and life-giving word of God. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to, to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So... He began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Thus far the reading of God's word. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, come upon us now through the Son and by the Spirit enlighten our minds. Steer up our hearts so that we may love your truth more and, and may the truth be a mere means 
to love you, our personal and triune God. O oh Lord, may our hearts be nurtured, may our minds be filled, so that we may have a banquet tonight and be all satisfied. Bless us, equip us, and do that which we can't. This we pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to start tonight by asking any children that we have here present, how would you feel if all of a sudden your parents would simply decide not to talk to you ever again? All those questions, and especially all those whys that you have, without having someone at least trying to answering those, it would be quite frightening, wouldn't it? All of us adults for sure can relate to that because we should if we don't remember our times as a child. It's always good to remember, at least for empathy and mercy sometimes. Uh, but the, fact, the matter of the fact is, as human beings, all of us, it doesn't matter our age, we need guidance. We need to be led. Children, they need the voice of their parents. Adults, the voice of the church and, and oftentimes uh, the voice of the state, which are both institutions explicitly created by and regulated by God in His Word. In all creation, in fact needs the voice of its creator as everything moves, leaves, and, and, and have its being from God, the creator and sustainer of it all. Even amidst this wicked and crooked generation that we now currently live, uh, they themselves bear witness to this truth that we all need guidance. And I say this especially because they are not content with a mere toleration or at least you being quiet about their lifestyle. But they want you to affirm their behavior. And this has a broad application. It goes from the current transgender movement up to the abortion movement. They want you to affirm not only be quiet about it, but actually positively affirm what they believe. And this need that they have of an external voice telling them, you are doing good, bless your heart. That need that they have is a, is a, is a clear picture that they actually need guidance. Because after all, they are human beings. This is what all of us need. All of us need a shepherd. And this text is showing us, as the title of this message suggests, or states, an all-sufficient shepherd. This is what our text addresses. In verse 34, for instance, we see that the crowd themselves, they needed a leader, a guide. For they were all over the place. It was a mess. They were like sheep not having a shepherd. We're going to get there. And what the Gospel of Mark is presenting to you is, is that shepherd. And this is Mark's goal from, from the starting point, from the get-go. He starts with the main proposition. This is the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He states what he's all about in this Gospel. So maybe you do belong to the Lord Jesus Christ 
today. Or maybe you don't. And if you don't, it is my prayer that today would be the day of your salvation. But if you do belong to this shepherd, I'm sure you will hear his voice on you. I can guarantee you that you need this word afresh. For it is by the preaching of his very word that this shepherd has promised to guide you to the celestial city as you walk in this world as a pilgrim. Well, it is a commonplace that all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all treat about the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But they do it differently. And, and together they complement one another as the Lord of our souls knows them all better than we and thus presenting us with a sufficient and full lore presentation of the centerpiece of our redemption. And the way Mark does it is basically by showing Christ to us, if you will. And I think show is a, is a proper word because Mark is going to focus much more in Jesus' actions than properly in his words. You're not going to have too many speeches, as you see, like a prolonged speech, like a Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7. But um, you see that Mark is in the business of building up the identity of the one whom he has presented in the first verse of this gospel, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he's going to do so primarily by describing Christ's action. He had shown to this point in the gospel that, that Christ is the Messiah who has authority over demons. He has authority over the forces of nature. Uh, he has authority to forgive sins. He has authority over the Sabbath. All those things Mark has already shown to his readers that Christ had. But in our passage, he wants us to understand that Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who is competent to satisfy all your needs. I'll say that again because that encapsulates our sermon tonight. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who is competent to satisfy all your needs. And these are the two things that we will consider, as you can see the points in your bulletin. Uh, the compassionate shepherd, verses 30 through 34, and then the competent shepherd, verses 35 through 44. First then, the compassionate shepherd. Notice first that Jesus is compassionate towards his disciples. You see here in verse 30 that the disciples had returned and were reporting to their master all that they had done and taught. And then in verses 31 and 32, you see that by Jesus' own initiative, he wanted to have some time of undivided fellowship with them. For as they were talking to Christ, pretty much extremely excited about the power that they had received from Jesus to do so many wonderful things. Uh, there were so many people coming and going that our text will say that they couldn't stop and they wouldn't even have time to eat. So there was really agitated there. So seeing that, observing the situation as the compassionate shepherd he is, and knowing that they needed rest, Jesus took them aside took them on a boat by themselves, as the text says, and departed with them to a deserted, or some translations would say, to a secluded place. And you see that in verse 32. 
And at this point, and very early in our text, uh, something draw, called my attention, especially, I think it was J.C. Ryle who got my attention on that. I don't remember exactly, but it probably was. Uh, you already see here what is the priority of the disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is fellowship with Christ Himself. Uh, there is nothing more important in your life than this. Uh, notice that the disciples, they were reporting back to Jesus in light of what He had commanded them to do. You too have a vocation that you now exercise either as children, to be obedient children to your father and mother on earth. As a command from your heavenly Father, you, we are uh, pastors, officers, businessmen, lawyers. Uh, we work with our conditioning. We do all kinds of things. There are so many vocations. Some are full-time moms, and I know that can be a handful. Uh, um, so are you, my question for you is, are you reporting back to the Lord what you have done in light of the calling that He has placed on your life? Are you, in a sense, uh, getting accountability uh, from the Lord and, 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 and in the getting accountability from the Lord, even from those whom the Lord appointed over your life as authorities? Uh, sometimes we forget that our religion is deeply personal. When, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, He teaches us to pray even for the bread of every day. He wants to hear us about everything. Are we doing that? Are you going to your Lord in prayer? Uh, we tend to deny that very core of our religion, that is to develop a relationship with the Father through the Son and by the Spirit, through whom we cry, Abba, which means, Father. Uh, you see, sometimes we got so entangled with good things, even like, like Reformed theology, and we start treating uh, Jesus as an idea instead of uh, as a person, don't we? And that is quite dangerous, dear congregation. Uh, that is not what you want at all. We want to do theology, as some theologians put, in the second person and not on the third person. We want to treat God as you, not as He, something distant from us. We want to do theology as an expression of our relationship with the living God, for fellowship with Him is the ultimate goal in life. It is our chief end. Every true Christian has received the Holy Spirit so that they may have access to this Father. And another lesson that we may draw from this brief portion here of our text is that sometimes we may be so consumed with ministering to others that we forget that we need time alone with our Master and that's going to be a temptation for, for a missionary. That's going to be, that is certainly a temptation for pastors and elders in Christ's church. Sometimes we're so consumed with thinking about our congregations or the lost world that we forget about our own souls. And sometimes as parents, perhaps, we are so consumed with the godliness of our children that we forget our own. And, um, and that is very, very dangerous, dear Congregation, sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is just to turn off your cell phone and have an undivided time of fellowship with the shepherd of your soul. So you can see how, how he is compassionate towards his disciple and he's going to be compassionate to you as you are his disciple. He is desirous of having this sort of fellowship with you, but he's also compassionate 
towards the crowd. You see that in verses 33 and 34 in our passage. He's compassionate towards all his image bearers. And in these verses, 33 and 34, we read about the actions of the crowd. As they saw Jesus and the disciples going to another place, they were desperate. And they needed to run fast. And they ran so fast that the text says that they got there first. Running on foot, on feet. And what I want you to do is what I think the author has in mind. I want you to picture this scene. We read that we have 5,000 men, and we learn from the Gospel of Matthew that it's only men, like male men. Imagine the amount of people that we have. We can easily have like 15,000 people if every couple had one children, one child. Imagine that scene, 15,000 people running in that region. The amount of sand, the madness, the screaming, get out of my way, I'm going to get there first. Imagine the mess that it was. Uh, the image that it would come to your mind it would be an image of complete chaos. Imagine Black Friday on the desert. That's the image that you would have. And, and that, the point of the matter is that, that what Jesus saw revealed to him uh, their desperate situation. To the point that as soon as he stepped out of the boat, the text says, he had compassion for them. He was moved in his bowels with compassion for them. Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And there is a ton of history and theology among that short expression, a sheep not having a shepherd. Uh, we can even trace that imagery back to the Garden of Eden when God himself was the shepherd of Adam and Eve. And, and as their sin disrupted their fellowship with God, they were wandering outside of the garden as sheep not having a shepherd. We can think about it still in the book of Genesis in Jacob that encompasses both his father and his grandfather. Uh, Jacob even confesses by the end of this life in Genesis 48 that the Lord has been his shepherd throughout his whole life. And it was through his seed that, that the Lord sent Israel to Egypt and there they grew abundantly so that they could fulfill God's promises to Abraham. Then as the people were oppressed in Egypt, the Lord called Moses a shepherd by vocation to bring them out of Egypt. But Moses, as you remember, sinned in the sight of the Lord and he was sentenced not to enter the promised land. And Moses is praying in Numbers 27, Lord, lift up a leader for God's people so that your people wouldn't be as sheep not having a Shepherd, and, and, and indeed, uh, the Lord answered Moses' prayer as we see in the appointment of Joshua, through whom and he, under whose leadership the people conquered, divided the land, and took possession of every piece of the land, although imperfectly, as you remember. But then, all of a sudden, we are in the book of Judges, a place that indeed people were like sheep, not having a shepherd. In fact, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But then, it's still even through the book of Ruth, we have the, the, the hope of the Davidic dynasty. And through that dynasty, uh, the, the kingdom was unified. And there was a glimpse of hope of the covenantal blessings of the Lord for the people being poured on them through their king. But again, the people fell into idolatry, false worship, 
and exile came as it was prophesied by the prophets. And again, the people of God were like sheep not having a shepherd. Is there any hope for such a people? Yes. And the hope comes from the very mouth of the prophets who prophesy the exile. For they said that even in exile, the Lord would raise a servant through whom God's people would be shepherded. You see that image in Micah 5. You see that image in Ezekiel 34. You remember that Moses said of old in Deuteronomy 18 that there is a prophet that is going to be greater than me and to to him you shall listen. He would perform the new exodus from this exile, primarily a spiritual exile. He would be a greater David and a greater Moses indeed. And this all brings us to the passage that we are. This is the point of redemptive history that we are. Uh, You see the figures like the priests that should lead the people. Even Herod that should be leaders among God's people. They were instead oppressing the people. A few verses earlier, still in chapter 6 of Mark, you see that Herod was feasting with the noble people as he was oppressing the wandering sheep of Israel. And then by by way of contrast here, uh, just as a white mark is is more observable against a black backdrop, or even as uh, the light shines brightly in the darkness, you see that Jesus' compassion stands out against the backdrop of that bad leadership that the people had. And then he saw them, and he was moved with compassion because they were sheep not having a shepherd. And how does the supreme and all-sufficient shepherd respond to that crisis? The text says, So he began to teach them many things. That was Jesus' reaction to their lack of a shepherd. He started to shepherd them by teaching them many things. Maybe you have not realized, as I have never in my first readings of this text, or in many times reading without reflecting that much as you reflect when you're preparing a sermon. But, uh, but the feeding process actually starts right here. Uh, perhaps the, the, the marvelous miracle that is about to take place takes so much of our attention that we don't notice that. And this is a, a demonstration of our lack of of concentration in spiritual things, oftentimes. So often we pray for the daily bread, for jobs, for healing, for so many things uh, for this life, while forgetting to rejoice and asking for more of the bread of life himself in our hearts. Uh, We forget of of sayings like, what profit does a man for gaining the whole world and losing his soul? Uh, Do you realize that when you live only concerned with the bread, but not with the bread of life, when you only care about what you have to do next in this world, and you live as an earthly-minded Christian, you are in a sense living as a beast of the field? That's what the prophets would say. Because you are losing sight of the very thing that distinguishes you from a beast of the field. You are living in a sense by instinct instead of delighting in the revelation which is the means through which you can commune with your creator uniquely 
as a crown of his creation and his image bearer. Therefore, what we have to do? We have to take heed to God's word. Prepare ourselves to receive God's word. As our shorter catechism will, will encourage us to come to this very place with diligence, preparation, and prayer. For saving faith comes from hearing God's word. And it is only by faith that you, you are united to Christ, the great shepherd. So we ought to listen to him. And as you listen to him, through faith, you will recognize his voice. As he said through the preached word. Can you recognize his voice now? If you can, uh, pay attention to this. Do you see why in this passage we see why the teaching ministry has priority in the church? Because the church is Christ's. Therefore, the church's priorities are Christ's priorities. Let me take you a bit further and call your attention on Christ's character here. That is being displayed before your eyes. He cared for people. He had compassion on them, for them. Do you care about people? I'm asking you now, do you care about people? Do you see people around you as eternal souls, either going to heaven or hell? Or do you see them oftentimes as obstacles to prevent you from accomplishing your daily goals? When you put together orthodoxy with compassion and you have the ministry of Christ, dear congregation. True orthodoxy breeds compassion and genuine compassion flows from orthodox teaching. May we not put asunder what God has joined together. Do you care about people? Are you moved with compassion for them? Or all you care is to prove your point? What is the answer for that? Jesus cares, for he is the compassionate shepherd who is competent to satisfy all your needs. We have seen so far that he is indeed a compassionate shepherd, not only towards his disciples, but even towards that crowd. Uh, but that was not enough for their need here, and is not enough enough for your needs. Uh, both them and you need a shepherd who is not only willing compassionate, but also able, competent, to satisfy all your needs. Let us now then proceed to the second aspect of the person of Christ that is revealed to us in this passage. He is the competent shepherd, beginning on verse 35. The first thing I want you to notice here is that Mark has been loading this passage with a Greek word that usually means great, or it can mean many, which is uh, what is usually rendered here in our passage. But the, the goal of Mark by repeating that word is to emphasize something. And that something that Mark is trying to emphasize for you is the greatness of the need that the shepherd, Jesus, was about to address. See, verse 31, we read here. Uh, we read that many, on verse 31, were coming and going. And then on verse 33, we read in verse 33 again, many, that's our word, knew him and ran after them. And then 34, we read that Jesus saw a great, that's our Greek word, that's the same Greek word, multitude, and taught them 
many, again, the same word, many things. And finally here in our uh, portion now, verse 35, we read that the disciples telling Jesus in the last sentence that the hour is late. Our same Greek word, although translated different in our English Bibles, and rightly so. It would be very awkward to do it differently. Um, what I'm doing, the reason I'm emphasizing this is because Mark's piling up of this word has a purpose, has intentionality. And the intentionality is to emphasize something. And that something is the greatness of the need that was about to be addressed. And by emphasizing the greatness of the need, he was also highlighting the greatness of the one who would be able to fulfill that need. So uh, the more we think about the circumstances surrounding this event, the more the suggestion of the disciples in verse 36, send them away. Makes a lot of sense. Because uh, there was a huge crowd, as we have already seen. It was also late. So how could the disciples feed all those people? There was one key thing, though, that the disciples had forgotten, and, and that was who Jesus was. And this is what Mark is trying to show us again here. Uh, they forgot the one to whom they were speaking. He is indeed the Son of God. He is the one who can overcome any and all adverse circumstances. And he had already proven that to them. Uh, in addition to that, I want you to see that, that, that Mark here is presenting Jesus as that greater Moses through whom the new exodus would happen. Uh, I, know, I wanted to notice this word in verse 35 here. This is a deserted place. That's the third time that this word that could be translated as wilderness appears in this passage. The other times were verse 31 and 32. Uh, depending on your translation, you would have either secluded or desolate place. So what, G what Mark is doing here very clearly is showing that Christ, between, building a parallel between Christ and Moses and showing how Christ is the fulfillment of what Moses did in the old, in the days of old. And Jesus is going to clearly emphasize that in the Gospel of John in this same episode. Uh, he, he, what, what Christ is doing here is just as Moses fed the people with men and quail, Jesus is about to do something very interestingly similar to that. So he's pointing the reader's mind to that way by emphasizing the, the, the idea of a desert, a wilderness there by that word. So Jesus Christ is the competent shepherd who overcomes all circumstances. And, he, and in doing so, and this is something unique to the Gospel of Mark, you're not going to see that in the same episode that, by the way, is in all the Gospels, in any other Gospel. Jesus operates through means. And the emphasis here is the, in the participation of the disciples in this miracle. You're not going to see that in the other Gospels. And, the, the, and, and, and how we should see that is not as contradictory, but as a complementary picture, giving us a full orb message that we need from this very rich episode and Christ indeed does operates through means verses 37 through 41 you see as a follow-up to the disciples suggestions send these people away it's too late there's too many people here he says look you and the emphasis here is very clear you yourselves give them something to eat and they responded do you want us to actually buy 200 denarii, like eight months of work? 
of bread for these people so that each can have a piece. And their question even makes more sense if you remember Mark 6 verse 8 that Jesus instructed them right before they went to the missions to carry nothing with them but a staff. And now you're asking us to, to feed 5,000 men? But once more, they forgot the one who was giving the waters. They forgot who he was. So he gave graciously, as he often does with us, doesn't he? Gave them more instructions. He said, go ahead, check how many loaves of bread you have. And the answer was not exactly encouraging. But then in, in verse 34 and 40, you see the action of the great shepherd bringing order to the flock that was without a shepherd. You remember that picture of chaos that I painted for you through the speech of people running towards Jesus and his disciples through the coast. And now that the shepherd is here, you see in these verses that he's organizing them. You see that in the text. Mark is explicitly stating that Jesus organized them in groups of hundreds and fifties. Maybe you don't remember, but this is exactly the way that the, biblical, the Bible describes how Moses organized the Israelite camps in Exodus 18 as they were in the Exodus out of Egypt. But the Old Testament echoes does not stop here. In addition to that, you have people in the desert sitting on green grass, uh, which should bring Psalm 23 to your mind. Uh, literally, the verse sitting down here could be rendered as lying down, and the picture would be even more clear. The Lord Jesus, David's son and David's Lord, is now causing people to lie down in green pastures as he prepares a table for them. What a beautiful image of Jesus as the promised David of Ezekiel 34, who was God himself, who was bringing order as David did in a sense in Israel he was doing in a much more profound way bringing order to the faithful Israel of God and there is another thing that Mark shows us here there is a progression in the organization of that people as a result of Christ's activity as their shepherd at that point and my dear New King James captures this very well by using different terms to to um, describe what Jesus was doing as the narrative progresses. The first, uh, in verse 33, you have that multitude being called a multitude or a crowd, in, depending on your translation. And then the second time that that group of people is referred, they're actually called groups. Well, groups are not as disorganized as a multitude would sound. And then in verse 40 here, you have them being called ranks which is almost a military level of organization, isn't it? So you see that as the more as Christ is dealing with them, they're ceasing from being a chaos and they start being a people, an organized amount of people. And that word that is rendered as ranks here in my Bible in, in verse 40 literally means garden plots. That is a very unusual word in the Bible. But when you put everything that I said together, I know it's been a lot, but I'm going to try to refresh your mind. When you put together the fact that you are in a desert, as Mark emphasized, 
And then you see green grass. And then all of a sudden people are being described as garden plots. It is fair to ponder what is Mark doing here. Remember when I said, and that, was, that had a purpose, that the same prophets who prophesied the exile, they also prophesied that a new and greater exodus, as compared to that out of Egypt, would happen. And that would happen through the greater Moses and the greater David. Remember how I pointed out that Jesus is both here? So Mark draws an image for us. And the, the quotations and imagery from the prophet Isaiah are so prevalent in the Gospel of Mark. And he does that again. He starts with a quote from Isaiah, the Gospel, by the way. Listen to these words from Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. In other words, Jesus, God, is turning desert into a garden. Or even this fallen creation is being restored to its Creator's original design. And now those points to the day where the Lord will sit with His people and feast with them in the new heavens and the new earth. Granted, this meal with bread and fish is far from being a banquet, but it is a sure testimony that we are heading to the fulfillment and consummation of God's promises. As theologians like to put it, we live in the era of the already but not yet. We already taste some benefits of the work of Christ and many of them, but not yet in its fullness when He comes the second time to rescue His church for all and for good. And then in verse 41, what we have here is the actual, the physical feeding of the people. And how Christ performed this miracle is relevant. Remember I said that Mark describes Christ's actions more than his words. So see how Jesus did this. He looked up to heaven, which is a common language for prayer, as we see in the book of Job many times, Psalm 123 also, and then he blessed the loaves. And having blessed the loaves, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. And the sacramental language is so evident here. That I remember in my last, uh, the church that I, that I was in South Carolina, and that was even the, the clue, the catchy phrase that the pastor would say, and then the elders would come to distribute the elements, and he gave it to his disciples. So it is very clear sacramental language. As a matter of fact, the same phrase will be used in Mark 14 as Mark is explaining how Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. So what is Christ teaching us here by doing this? He's teaching us something very clear and that we should know as New Covenant Christians that all things come from the Father through the mediation of the Son and by the empowerment of the Spirit. The Spirit whom Christ received by occasion of His baptism without measure. All things come from the Father through the Son and by the Spirit. And such we do when we pray to Him. We pray by the Spirit, through the mediation of the Son, unto our Heavenly Father. And the Great Shepherd not only gave them something to eat, something to put in their mouth, but they all were filled, all were satisfied. 
And at this point, I have to ask you, especially in the era that we live, do you believe that this miracle happened? Our skeptical culture is maybe screaming at your ears, this is absurd, how can this be? This is utterly impossible, no way that this happened. He deceived everybody, and many uh, artificial explanations have been posed to what happened here. They're calling, they're going to call you fools. Are you ready for being a fool for Christ in that sense? Then in verse 43, we read here that they not only ate and were filled, but see, we had 12 baskets of left over. And many commentaries, we speculate almost to a mystical point what that means. But I think the reason is very, very simple and personal. Remember, this passage started in a very personal tone as Jesus taking them aside for a time of fellowship. So I think that, especially considering Mark 8, when Jesus are going to ask them, when they don't understand what Jesus meant with the expression, the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus will ask them, how many baskets did I leave with you in the last day? You think I'm upset with you because you didn't bring food? That's what you think? And then they say 12. And then he, Jesus will look at them and say, how can you still not understand? How can you still not understand? Can you see, congregation, how powerful our Jesus is? He is more than capable of using ordinary people just like you. And God indeed must love ordinary people, as a pastor said, because he made a lot of them. Do you feel perhaps inadequate or incapable? He is capable of using ordinary people just like you. You see how he could use this slow-minded man as apostles? 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Or maybe you ponder, I am in such a difficult point in my life right now that I don't believe that anything can be done about it. Remember, He is almighty. And to that, I would ask you, how can you still not understand? Ephesians 3.20, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Go to him if you are his sheep already. I am sure you can hear his voice now, so go to him again and again and again. But if you are not his sheep tonight, I know that you have a need that nothing you buy, nothing you do, nothing you experience has satisfied. And I will guarantee you that it will never satisfy you. Jesus Christ is the only one who can satisfy all your needs. Every one of them. And the reason I know that is because He is all you need. Nothing else. It was He who said, I am the bread of life. And whoever eats from me shall never hunger again. And you eat this bread by believing in Him as your Savior. And the fact that you know that you need a Savior is an evidence that you recognize that you are a sinner. Therefore, on behalf of Christ, I am offering this gospel to you right now. Come and buy it without money. Repent and believe and you shall live. And if you eat of this bread of life, He will change your life. He will give you a purpose. I am not promising that everything will be beautiful and colorful every day. 
For he said that we will have afflictions in this world, but he also said us, they also told us to be of good cheer, for he overcome the world. He is the good shepherd who gave his life as a ransom for all of those who are his sheep. And as I said in the beginning, we all need a shepherd to guide and lead us. And Jesus is the competent shepherd to provide for all your needs. Therefore, do not fear. For in him you have a compassionate shepherd who not only cares for you, but is entirely able to preserve you through all things. And though you may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, his rod and staff will comfort you. And in the end, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and gracious Lord, thank you for giving us your Son. And giving him to us while we were yet sinners and therefore your enemies is such a display of love that nothing in this world can emulate. Nothing in this world can compare for there is none like you, O oh Lord. You are the one whose right is of all honor and glory. And you chosen upon yourself shame and a shameful death on the cross. And that on our behalf, and as we remember that through the sacrament, may we ponder anew of the great shepherd you have given us. And, and, and may we repent from trying to satisfy our needs in different places. And may we remember and, and be amazed with how much patience you have with us. And may we be patient people to others. Oh Lord, give us Christ, more of him, so that we may not be sheep, not having a shepherd. In the shepherd's name we pray, even Jesus Christ, the Savior. Amen.